Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's lesson, Earth Day, Easter, and Human Extinction. Please welcome Reverend George Wolf. So the world has enough to meet everybody's need, but not enough to meet everybody's greed. It's one of those great sayings, isn't it? The problem is that a lot of us have difficulty, including myself, distinguishing between a want and a need. <laughs> and I'm, in a more extreme example, I'm thinking of the New York CEO who used bailout money to buy an $80,000 rug for his office. <laughs> but there was a person, uh, about a couple centuries ago, who came up with the idea that the world will not have enough to, make, to, to meet everybody's need someday. And that person was Thomas Malthus. I'm sure you've heard of the Malthusian theory. Malthus asserted that humanity's exponential population growth would out, outpace the more arithmetic growth of food production. And what that meant was that eventually there would be not enough to go around as the human population would increase. In 1968, an author named Paul R. Ehrlich published a much controversial book entitled The Population Bomb. He envisioned the Malthusian catastrophe that mass famine and starvation would start occurring in the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, prediction which fortunately did not materialize. Prior to Ehrlich, there were many who questioned Malthus's conclusion. They said that wars, natural disasters, and falling population growth due to industrialization would be natural mechanisms that would curb population growth. But in 1969, there was a man named R. Buckminster Fuller. And this is during my generation, so I, got a, I had a good time preparing this presentation. <laughs> he was the visionary architect and designer of the geodesic dome, and he published a series of lectures entitled Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth. How many remember this? <laughs> I dug this out of the architecture library here. <laughs> like others, Fuller challenged the, Malth the idea of a Malthusian catastrophe. Uh, but his argument was not grounded in wars, natural disasters, but rather in the first law of thermodynamics, which is the law of conservation of energy. Fuller explained that while energy is finite, it is also infinitely conserved. There is enough energy. It is constantly being transformed from one state to another. And also, the Earth being an open system is sustained by the virtually unlimited energy from the sun. And the world has available to it, therefore, all the energy it needs to provide for humankind. We simply need to harness the vast energy available. In Fuller's words, the main engine of Spaceship Earth, quote, the life-giving regenerative processes must operate exclusively on our vast daily energy income from the powers of wind, tide, water, and the direct sun radiation energy. That was 40 years ago, and now we're finally getting around to figuring that out. This, by the way, would be the 40th year 
uh, anniversary of the publication of his, of his operating manual. Fuller further asserted that complex systems behave in ways that cannot be predicted by their individual parts. This was a concept he called synergy, and Fuller observed this at work at the uni- in the universe and in the evolution of life. He saw the universe as a perpetual motion process that was evolving without beginning or end. Life, therefore, is regenerative by nature, and it should be humanity's goal not to compete for resources, but rather capitalize on the Sun-Earth system's synergy and regenerative power. Now, I often think that Fuller was merely asserting uh, an ancient idea, only using 20th century scientific jargon. The Native American author that I quoted in the readings uh, expressed it less scientifically when he said, everywhere life is renewed. And we are speaking of something very sacred, although it happens every day. America's great natural philosopher, Henry Thoreau, in observing the breakup of the ice on Walden Pond during the early spring, expressed it more, more poetically with the words, Walden was dead, but is alive again. Indeed, it is fitting that Earth Day falls so close to Easter as we celebrate the wondrous and sacred resurrection of life each passing year. I guess the most prominent story to laud the regenerative power of creation, though, goes back to an ancient myth called the phoenix. This was the bird, the great bird with wings of fire, flying out of the sun, journeying to Earth. It would then die through cremation, cremating itself, and resurrect out of its own ashes to begin a new life cycle, concluding with the ascent back to the sun. The oldest meaning of this myth dealt with the movement of the sun through the sky. It was, the idea was that when the sun sets in the evening, it as if dies, and in the morning it rises again. And the ancient world had also provided an uh, explanation of how fire came to earth. But later, the phoenix myth came to reflect the ancient view that creation was self-sacrificial by design. Alan Watts, in his book Myth and Ritual in Christianity, uh, quotes, living things live by killing and devouring other forms of life. Life, in the generic sense, sacrifices itself to itself in order to perpetuate itself. Every creature that is killed offering itself in sacrifice. This must have been a great paradox in ancient times, the idea that life was actually sustained through death and that was embodied in the Phoenix myth, conveying the notion that life is not an end to life but rather a means through which it is transformed. Or we could say life energy is not lost, it is merely transferred. It was believed that humans had a dual nature, a lower animal nature, a higher spiritual nature, And while we are bound in the physical body, we are destined to ascend, to realize our higher spiritual nature, and return to our heavenly home. But one did not have to wait until physical death to experience one's higher spiritual nature. We simply had to undergo a time of adversity, a trial of life, a baptism by fire, as they say, which would awaken our higher spiritual nature, bestowing on us new life and the realization that the soul exists autonomously from the body. Such an experience would cause one to die within 
so that, the, so that a person would, as if, be born a second time. Anyone who enjoys natural philosophy will appreciate the butterfly as a metaphor for this spiritual birth. The butterfly spends its first portion of life crawling on the earth as a caterpillar, after which it enters a cocoon and from a seemingly lifeless state emerges as a glorious creature ascending to enjoy its new domain and its power of flight. Thoreau, in his conclusion to Walden, tells of a story of, quote, strong and beautiful bug, which came out of a dry leaf of an old table of apple tree wood, which had stood in a farmer's kitchen for 60 years, from an egg deposited in the living tree many years earlier, hatched perchance by the heat of an urn. He then asked the question, who does not feel his faith in resurrection and immortality strengthened by hearing of this? Most certainly long ago, someone must have pondered the question, are humans capable of such a metamorphosis? Not physically, of course, but psychologically and spiritually. To fully appreciate... Well, the story of the phoenix is most known as an Egyptian myth. It is perhaps the most pervasive myth in the ancient world. It is also found in Russian mythology, where it's known as the firebird. If you've heard or seen the ballet of Firebird or heard Stravinsky's Firebird Suite, it was written uh, to, uh, as music to accompany the ballet version of that myth. Uh, the oldest written rendition of the phoenix, though, is found in the Rig Veda, a Hindu scripture, where it is referred to as the sunbird. And in the verses of the Rig Veda, it describes the sunbird soaring in the sky like an eagle, then ascending to earth. And when it ascends to earth, it flies into the womb of Yama. <clears throat> now, in Hindu mythology, Yama is the god of death. And then it comes out of the womb of Yama and ascends back into the sky, where it is achieving its a glorious uh, status looking like sunlight. In that passage in the Rig Veda, that eagle uh, image okay, struck me as interesting because we find the same symbol in the Hebrew scriptures when it, it is, is expressed as spiritual ascension. In the book of Exodus, God says to the ancient Israelites, quote, I bore you up on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. But what was most odd to me about that Hindu passage was that the god of death, Yama, has a womb. I mean, what in the world is the god of death doing with a womb? A womb is associated with birth, you see. Well, the answer most given is that death here is not viewed as an end, but as a means of renewal. As the leaves die in the fall, only to nourish the soil, in preparation for the rebirth of spring. Beyond the symbol of the eagle, in Christianity, it appears that the Christ figure in the Gospels is the sunbird but given human form. Myth and history there are united there and expressed through the life of a person. The Christ figure in the Gospels is a person, therefore, of both myth and history. For like the phoenix, he dies, resurrects, and ascends back to heaven, the ascension corresponding to the flight of the sunbird back to the sun. I found it fascinating how it seems like 
uh, you have in ancient times you have myth and then you have history kind of separated. But if you if you go through as you enter the more religious writings, especially in the Jewish tradition, you get this integration of myth and history uh, to the point where sometimes you cannot be sure where history leaves off and myth begins. Several years ago, I realized that there was a connection between the self-sacrificial message of the Phoenix, the miracle of Easter, and the teachings of Buckminster Fuller. The emerging model for interdisciplinary studies in the 1960s and 70s was known as general systems theory. And as a general systems theorist, Fuller saw the universe as regenerative, able to perpetually renew itself. Practically speaking, we see this in the changing of the seasons and in ecosystems as they recover from fires and natural disasters. We further see it in the, our own lives as we cope with and strive to overcome personal disappointments and tragedies. Christopher Reeves may have played Superman in the popular movie series, but his true strength was revealed in his efforts to transform his life after his paralyzing accident and constructively lobby for stem cell research, which has the potential to regenerate human cells. So to prevent our demise, we must, consider our, we must commit ourselves to sustainability. We must intelligently manage the Earth's resources and seek new technologies to power our civilization that Buckminster Fuller called us to do 40 years ago. And finally, we must live according to our needs, not according to our greed. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolf, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week.